0: Welcome back to Hunt with Bruce. We're four episodes now into this podcast, and welcome to my house playing in the background. Mikasa as Sukasa. Mr.
1: Hunt, what is going on? We now have more reviews and ratings on apple itunes than we do podcasts recorded which i never thought would be the case so thank you to everybody who has downloaded subscribed left some ratings left some comments and feedback still waiting on our guests and our uh, our listeners to give us some recommendations on the intro song but for now i think you're doing a great job as the mc for this podcast
0: yeah you know i'm just letting the songs come to me we did get some suggestions on some other things, one of which was adding a third person <laughs> to the podcast. So so maybe that'll be in the mix. That might be a little bit ahead of our tech savviness mm-hmm. of being able to add a third person in. We're still trying uh, to figure
1: out where the record button is every single week just for the two of us. So we'll we'll get there eventually. It's a natural progression of the podcast.
0: Yeah, it'll it'll happen. And don't you worry, because we've got a big wish list when we finally make it big. And, you know, having a third guest, maybe having some callers is one of those things. Um, You know, having TVs behind us, maybe having a Dan Patrick man cave. I mean, the list goes on and on, but there's plenty of things we want to do.
1: You hit on Uh, the big ones so far. Those are that would be my top four, top five wish list items right now.
0: Yeah, but just remember, it's those five-star ratings that are going to get us there, so keep on listening, keep on clicking, and, uh, yeah, someone come up with a song. Tell your friends, too. Or someone, of send,
1: advertising.
0: someone send us, if you have our numbers, uh, send it through there, but if you don't, uh, send it through one of the, the reviews and, and sing a song. I mean, oh. that would be perfect.
1: Yeah, we'll splash that on the beginning of the podcast next week.
0: Uh, yeah, that would be very unique. Um, one of the other suggestions we got, and I think it's a perfect suggestion was and I don't know if they were pointing at you know what we need to talk about, but the comment was made that it's you know Michigan State, Big Ten, if you, you, know, you can get all the info you want if that's what you're looking for. Well, guess what we're going to start off with today. We're going to start off with the Bama LSU matchup. That left Bama fans singing, I think, at the end of the night, Welcome to my house all over Baton Rouge. What did, what did you think about the game?
1: Man, uh, almost, I'd like to say it was what I expected because I thought that Alabama would win. I picked them to cover in our weekly picks, the 14 and a half point spread. I was a little unsure of picking that spread just because we had heard all season long about LSU's strong defense. And even though their offense had struggled behind the arm of Joe Burrow. Uh, maybe LSU was strong enough at home to hold Tua and the rest of the Alabama offense to within a manageable point spread. But uh, after Alabama's first drive, which sort of ended in, in a complete disaster with them not scoring for the first time on an opening drive all year, they got things figured out both on the ground and through the air, winning that game 29 to nothing. They held LSU to just 12 yards on the ground. So it was not only Alabama's prolific offense, but their defense came to play as well. And I don't see any team remaining on their schedule, even Georgia in that ACC championship game uh, that I think is going to contend with the tide. If you want to crown them now, let's just crown them. We can focus on the quick lane bowl and the music city bowl and some of those matchups. But at this point, I think it's Alabama's league and everyone else is just living in it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And you mentioned Tua, which is where I want to go before we keep talking about the game because we won't just touch on this one. We'll get into it a little bit more. But let's hear some highlights from the man, the myth, the legend that finally played a second half. Dragabolo steps up, fires to the end zone. Got it! Irv Smith for the touchdown! He's trying... So those were two big plays by Tua. He had that nice touchdown pass in in the right corner of the end zone there. Mm -hmm. And then you saw him running with a little hitch in his giddy up, but he still made it 35, 40 yards to the end zone. And that one kind of put the game away, in my opinion. Um, As far as people wondering, you know, Hey, you know, you haven't talked about Bama four episodes in, you know, you finally get to them. This is what I thought about when I watched the game. I was sitting here with my dad watching it. And I said, you know, what's funny is I have not even watched Alabama play a game yet. And then I thought to myself, why would I watch them play a game? I don't need to watch them blow people out in the first half to know that they're good. Mm -hmm. I felt like I, I said, I gave the analogy. It's like if your buddy comes out of the crapper, and tells you it stinks in there, and you feel the need to go in there and actually make sure it stinks. No, you know. Just like you know (laughs) that Bama's going to be good, you don't need
1: to watch them to find out. They're good. They're They're great. It's their league, like you said. They're beating teams right now by an average of 37.2 points a game. If you look at some of the historically great college football teams, I'm talking 1971 Nebraska, 2001 Miami, they're beating teams by more than some of those historical greats so if you throw in Alabama's formidable defense which we know it's it's been around for a number of years now ever since Nick Saban has taken that program to that elite level but if you throw in Tua if you throw in the offense I don't know if they are beatable at this point at the end of the game you heard Alabama fans chanting we want Bama we want Bama (laughs) So Alabama is the only team that can beat Alabama right now. And they would do so if they just dropped a game, if they didn't come mentally and physically prepared for a contest for all four quarters. But I think the talent certainly outweighs anything that can be thrown at them at this stage, whether it's the rest of the regular season or into the playoff. I even checked on Bovada and their preliminary betting lines for Alabama's likely playoff opponents includes them being favored by nine points versus Clemson. Being favored by 14 and a half points versus Michigan and being favored by 21 points versus Notre Dame. The crazy part is, I'd lay the points in all three of those games. I just don't see any of those teams competing with Alabama. Maybe Clemson, I've been a little um, surprised at how well Clemson has been doing in the ACC, um, not just for the fact that they're winning games, but how they're winning them and by how much they are winning. But yeah, just nine points against Clemson, 14 and a half against Michigan, 21 against Notre Dame, especially knowing what they did against the Irish with and what was, in my mind, um, a less talented team for Al- Alabama back in 2012. I'd have no issue laying the points in those three games for their likely playoff opponents.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to beat everybody and they'll probably beat them by whatever Vegas lays out for them. I think even though Saban won't say it, he takes it as a challenge. And it sounds like what you were saying there is that we probably should just have, is it a crimson and cream uh, <laughs> national right. championship game? We just set the first string and the second string, or you got captains and they pick te- pick teams and they go play. That'd be the um, way that might be your, your best bet. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I mentioned the turning point, maybe was that two a run, but there was one play in the second half that I could not believe what happened. And it was a third and 16, Bama's at their own 20-25 yard line, and they threw a screen pass. And so this was at the point where I'm like, all right, LSU's going to get a stop. They're not going to get 16 yards. They'll get the ball back. Maybe they'll get some good field position. Here we go. And they run the screen, and LSU has six guys in the backfield chasing Tua. And none of them, none of them thought, isn't it weird that for the first time this whole game, we just – Got past the whole offensive line of Alabama and were chasing one guy. Oh wait, maybe that's a screenplay set up, and they get the first down. Next thing you know, they're going down the field, they're scoring, and and to me that was it. Um, the other thing I found funny is obviously you know I talk about I listen to the the radio stations throughout the week and catch up on you know fans calling in and, and what other analysts think about the games. And Bama fans called in all week and the funniest thing they say is they say well you know i told you at the beginning of the season that you could expect ban to wipe the floor with everybody and i told you too that i would take clemson and they'd beat everybody up And, and i told you they'd both be in the top four and look what you're seeing now exactly what i told you at the beginning of the season and i think to myself i could have told you that hunt could have told you that my baby could have told you that. Everybody knew that, but they say it like some big proclamation, like, look what I've come up with. I've, I had the, the top two figured out all along.
1: They have the crystal we, ball down there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, we all knew it. It's just a matter of who's three and four. Yeah, that's the big question right now is three through ten, really, those fringe playoff teams and the ones that are sitting there uh, with a very, very little margin of error, very little room for error. Alabama could probably still lose a game and make it in. We've seen them last year. They didn't even play in the conference championship game and they still made it in and they won the whole thing. So it's, uh, it, it's crazy to think that Alabama is sitting here about to win their sixth national title in 10 years. They could have arguably the best team, not just in Nick Saban's career, but in all of college football history. I, I just can't think of any team in my lifetime that uh, that would go. I, I honestly would take Alabama by double digits over any of those great teams in my lifetime 2001 miami 1999 florida state 04 usc 05 texas i think alabama would wipe the floor with all of them
0: yeah i agree with you and i mean it's just the the tides at a different level um but i think that's enough on the tide the tigers we still want to talk about a couple other teams that are right there in the hunt at three and four Uh, but before we do that A couple more highlights from the weekend. You know, none of the weekends are boring, and there's big play after big play, and they just keep getting bigger as we get, you know, farther into November where the games count for more. So here goes nothing. They're going for two. Here's a snap. Greer underneath, and they get it! Sills ran a slant, used his body prior to the snap. But a timeout call. Question 23. They're in field goal range. They want a
1: touchdown. Book a great fake. And they will not touch him. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Set out the first half of the last game.
0: He it off and running into the secondary. Nothing deep into Penn State territory as Scott finally runs him down at the 15. Wolverines
1: threaten immediately.
0: Patterson. Flushed. Looks to the
1: end zone. So touchdown, Donovan
0: Peoples-Jones. Stevens looking to throw against the four-man rush. Will now take off. And then flips it right into the hands of Brendan Watson. Watson headed down the sidelines. Still going. Wolverines pick six. So we had some crazy plays all over the yard, but the theme of the weekend, and maybe the theme of a lot of weekends, has been the QB keeper. Big plays for for teams that are staying in the hunt, and it's all because the QB decides to hold on to the ball and do it themselves.
1: Yeah, you saw it in the West Virginia-Texas game with Will Greer on that exciting two-point conversion. I thought if you want to touch first on the West Virginia-Texas game before we get into a few of the other big matchups, I thought this was the most exciting game by far of the weekend. You had LSU versus Alabama and Michigan-Penn State, the two matchups that everybody wanted to watch, but those two were blowouts um, for uh, for the favored teams. So we had West Virginia going on the road to Austin in a game where it was a, a lot of back and forth, but at the end of the day, The two offenses combined for over 1,000 yards of total offense, 83 points put on the board, 56 total first downs, and at the end of the day, another thing that's been a common theme down in Austin, one sad Tom Herman.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, man, a a lot of sad fans there in Texas, especially because the West Virginia crew is dancing just in the back of the end zone, I think, kind of rubbing it in a little bit. But if you have cojones like that, to go for two. I mean, he basically he basically said, Dana Holgerson said, we are winning or losing and giving up the CFP or staying in the race with this one. I mean, it was, it was as much as you can put on the line in a regular season game. He did it. They actually converted twice because the first one was a timeout, but everybody was playing during that play, and they still completed it to Sills there in the end zone. So one heck of a game. Um, but the, the other two games that, uh, you know, if Michigan and Notre Dame went out, West Virginia can do whatever they want, but they're not going to see the, the final four. Um, and obviously, Michigan, starting with them, they made a statement against Penn State. This isn't one of Penn State's better teams, uh, you know, by any means. MSU went in there with no offense and came out victorious. But Michigan's defense, dominant, uh, you know, they they took Trace McSorley, who was a little bit injured. But still, they held them to zero points until they got a you know a dirt ball touchdown there at the end. Um, I do want to say Chase Winovich is a loser. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what he's using in that hair, what flavor of herbal essence is in there. But gosh, if I was about 10 times the size I am now, I'd love to tackle him. Not at my current size, because that would hurt a lot. But uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of him. But the rest of that team, that defense is playing great. Shea Patterson is doing a hell of a job at QB. Higdon's rushing the ball well. They're certainly clicking. And, you know, tell me, Ryan, do you see them giving Bama or Clemson a run for their money with how they're playing right now?
1: Maybe Clemson. We touched on it already. Alabama would be favored by 14.5 points against Michigan right now out in Vegas, and I would take Alabama with the points there. But, yeah, Michigan, they have every right to be in the top four right now. You could also certainly probably even make a case that they are playing better than Notre Dame, dominating opponents week in and week out. And while you've seen Notre Dame kind of struggle with consistency throughout games over the last few weeks, Michigan week in and week out has taken that next step, both offensively and defensively. But before we get too far into Michigan, I need to go on a little bit of a rant about penn state and james franklin because this has been bothering me i think since the 27 26 home loss against ohio state and now you have penn state going into ann arbor last saturday season low 186 yards of total offense they get blown out 42 to 7 in embarrassing fashion the most concerning thing to me james franklin he's now 0 and 11 in true road games versus ranked teams while head coach at Penn State, and he's been outscored in those games by an average of 25.8 points. He's three and 12 against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. That means he's one and four against Urban Meyer, one and four against Antonio, one and three against Harbaugh, and 0 and 1 against the ghost of Brady Hoke. So, <laughs> Franklin has struggled in his time, and we've talked about this with Harbaugh over the past couple of years, his inability to win big games. But now all of a sudden, Michigan is in prime position to reach Indianapolis for the first time in the Big Ten Championship for football. But we're seeing these struggles with James Franklin and Penn State in a team that came into the season with a lot of accolades, a lot of preseason hype. Many thought they could potentially uh, be the representative out of the Big Ten East in the big 10 championship game. We're sitting here scratching our heads, wondering what in the heck is going on in happy Valley. And there's a couple of coaching decisions I want to point to as well. So we obviously know the fourth down call against Ohio state earlier in the year where the coaching staff took the ball out of chase McSorley's hands and ran an HB dive basically on fourth and short towards the end of the game. in in a play that Ohio state stuffed and ended up walking out of Penn state with a victory this past Saturday, right? This past Saturday, there's, there's more where that came from with James Franklin. So this past Saturday, uh, there's, a, there's two plays in particular I wanted to point to. Uh, the first one, if you recall, after a Michigan score, they kicked the ball out of bounds. And in most cases, huh. a coach would take the ball at their own 35 and have great field position to go down the field and potentially score. Instead, James Franklin elects to have the Wolverines re-kick, and Penn State starts to drive at their own 21. So they lose 14 yards right off the bat right there. You know what that tells you,
0: though, Ryan, is that he was so concerned they couldn't score on offense that he thought his best bet was to have K.J. Hamler just Mm -hmm. book it like he stole someone's lunch money 100 yards to the end zone. (laughs) Right.
1: And if you're relying on your special teams to beat Michigan, you're not in a very good situation. Uh, The second play as well was 4th and 17, obvious punting situation against uh, the nation's best defense. What does Franklin do? He calls a timeout then brings the punt team back onto the field to run the exact same play that we're going (laughs) to run. So a couple of head-scratching plays being called, and again, an embarrassing loss on the road in Ann Arbor last Saturday. He wanted to raise the bar for this Penn State team to an elite program. Those are his words that he used after the one-point loss to Ohio State, again, with that eyebrow-raising fourth down call that took the ball out of McSorley's hands. But there's a few things that need to be done to take a step from Slightly above average to elite, and it begins with not getting your teeth kicked in on the road uh, by Michigan. So if you're Penn State and you're in your Nittany Lion fan right now, I feel your pain because I know Michigan State and Notre Dame have been in those situations, especially over the past few seasons where they didn't quite live up to their expectations. But to me, there are so many other coaches in the Big Ten. Even if you look at teams out of the mix right now, like a PJ Fleck, I'd rather have him being the leader of my team, than somebody like James Franklin, who by and large this year has taken his team out of the competition as opposed to giving them a chance to take advantage of a W.
0: Yeah, but James did put 55-60 on Illinois, who then put 55 on Minnesota. So I I don't know. I don't know, but I have been saving this and I, I think, you know, James Franklin deserves it. So here goes nothing.
1: You are one pathetic loser.
0: I think uh, he could take that from Lloyd Christmas. James, <laughs> you got to get it together, buddy. Yep. You're not looking good. Um, but you're making me look good on my picks of Penn State to maybe finish outside the top 25
1: yep. after
0: starting in the top 10 because you could lose to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we'll see how that goes. But jumping into the Notre Dame-Northwestern game, um, obviously that play call, that QB keeper for Book was, was a hell of a play call. They had Northwestern fooled. that sealed the game. Um, Northwestern, you know, put up a great fight, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, Notre Dame found a way to win, and that's how you make it to the CFP or to the championship game. The one thing before, before we get into maybe a little more about Notre Dame that I want to say about the Wildcats is I do love how gritty they are. They don't give up. They kind of remind me of that military team where it doesn't matter where you're down at, how much you're down, how much time's left. You just don't throw in the towel. And, and they almost got one over on Notre Dame. I mean, they cut it to one score, but Notre Dame put together what we would call a championship drive, mm-hmm. and they sealed the game, took the victory home, and they actually did a better job. You know, if we're talking about Michigan looks a lot better since losing at Notre Dame, does Notre Dame look much better since they beat Michigan? Well, they just went into Northwestern and won by 10 and never trailed. Well, Michigan went in there a couple weeks ago, were down by 17 at halftime and had to come back and still almost lost on a Northwestern drive at the end of the game. So if you're looking for, you know, who's got the edge, Notre Dame's still playing great football and they still won over Michigan. So, you know, we're going to get into the CFP rankings, but clearly that's my argument of why Notre Dame deserves to, to be at three at this point.
1: Yeah, with them being still undefeated, you would have a hard time arguing that Michigan should be in that three spot. I think everybody feels comfortable having them in that four spot right now. It'll be interesting to see how things play out. If Michigan does get that Big Ten title, does the playoff committee move them up to three and drop Notre Dame back down to four if the Irish still remain undefeated? But going back to the Notre Dame and and Northwestern game, you're right. The Wildcats put up uh, a terrific fight. They were in it until the end even when Notre Dame got up 24 to seven, you know, I sent a, a text to my brother saying math, we can't stick around for very long. You know, I knew this was going to happen in the second half. <laughs> Ian book came out firing after Notre Dame went into the half tied at seven. Uh, book comes out. He still leads the nation in completion percentage. 74 and percent of his throws are completed to his receivers. So he was having a big game through the air. Um, you almost see, it almost seemed like Notre Dame was going to end up pulling away, maybe win by, you know, 31 to seven, 38 to seven. But, Northwestern put up a fight. Clayton Thorson did what he had to do to get his team back in the game, and the defense made some big stops late third quarter, early fourth quarter to give Northwestern a chance. And Pat Fitzgerald, to his credit, always has that team prepared every single week. But at the end of the day, uh, the level of talent that Notre Dame has compared to what Northwestern has on the sidelines was just too big of a hurdle for the Wildcats to overcome And now we're sitting here, Notre Dame has Florida State, Syracuse, USC left on their schedule out of the four teams in the top four for the playoff. I think they have the easiest road maybe uh, to the playoff with possibly the exception of Clemson. Um, But I don't know. I, I feel uncomfortable with those last three games, especially knowing Florida State's level of talent. Syracuse being ranked right now, playing everybody really tough, and then USC it it doesn't matter if USC is 12 and 0 or 0 and 12 in that game. Notre Dame has a target on their backs and I think the Trojans would love nothing more than to knock off an undefeated Notre Dame team to end their playoff hopes out in uh, out in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, I think this schedule is actually a little bit harder than people are giving it credit for. Um Syracuse is is, you know, sitting there with two losses. They're actually pretty high up there in the CFP rankings um and you know they always pull out victories you don't think they're going to and then you know the coach talks about how you didn't know what was in my heart you didn't know what was in their heart he gives the best speeches i've ever heard in a locker room um and the usc as you mentioned they might be playing for clay helton's job Mm -hmm. at this point so you might see jt daniels you know Going for the win or bust, and, and you could get a real good effort out of the Trojans at home. So it gets a little bit tougher. Certainly, you know, some other teams have a tougher road. Uh, Bama's got a tougher road. Michigan's got uh, Ohio State still left on the schedule. If they blow it against Rutgers or Indiana, um, well, I'll laugh, first of all, but <laughs> that'll be the worst <laughs> loss of Harbaugh's career. Kick out any other, you know, MSU losses, the punt block, any of that stuff. If they can't get it together to have a, you know, uh, a game against Ohio State to get in the playoffs, then they don't deserve to be there in the first place. I think right. they will. I'm just saying, you know, it it could happen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, two two great wins by both teams. I think out of Notre Dame in Michigan, though, I hope Michigan stays in that four spot because I would love to see their defense against Bama's offense. I don't know that they'll stand up to Bama. They probably won't. Mm-hmm. No one is. LSU had a great defense and they got 29 shellacked on them. Part of that problem is if your offense can't give your defense a rest, then Bama's going to wear you down because they got five stars playing third string and they're just going to come at you, come at you until you break. Um,
1: if You're right. Michigan I, plays, I, I, Yeah, I ahead. agree. Yeah, I agree that. Yeah, Michigan's defense against Alabama's offense is something that I think everybody would like to see at this point, just uh, just to no. know, is Michigan's defense for real? I think they're for real. They certainly have a better offense than LSU, so maybe there's a right. possibility that if the defense can do enough to contain Tua, can the offense put together a few scoring drives to keep it manageable? Possibly. Shea Patterson's certainly a better thrower and a runner than Joe Burrow. I think Michigan's offensive line has come a long way since that first game at Notre Dame. So that would certainly be a a really interesting matchup for the semifinal game between Alabama and Michigan. And as things are looking right now, it's likely we could be seeing that here uh, in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We'll move on. I thought I could just give a quick rundown from the MSU Maryland game. We know, I think, out of the you know handful of people that listen, there's some Sparties out there. So we figured we'd cover the game, although it's not a big, a big win by any means over Maryland. Uh, but you know they held Maryland to 26 rushing yards, a team that rushes for over 200 yards on average. So it was it was a solid win from that standpoint. The offense did not look very well, especially with Lawerke at QB. Uh, one of the funnier quotes I, I saw from Graham Couch in the LSJ about Lewerke playing is that, you know, he made the comment Lewerke did that he felt good enough to play that he can contribute to the team. And so D'Antonio let him start. And Couch said, if you let Brian Lewerke decide who is going to be the starting QB, then Brian Lewerke will be the starting QB. And I thought that was a good way to put it where D'Antonio has got to step in and he's got to make a decision because you're getting to the point where you have a very capable Lombardi playing backup that's coming and beat Purdue. Um, you know, his, his one pass that he had to start out that almost went for a pick six doesn't help his, his case, but, you know, I think he's a capable guy that can come in and win games, including the Ohio State game. But to give you a peek into MSU's offense, they are number 99 for total yards and 98 for total points. P.J. Fleck fired his defensive coordinator after last week's debacle with Illinois. But when does D'Antonio even think about giving Warner the boot when your offense is at 99 and 98? We have the best rushing defense in the nation. We could be probably, if we had an offense, we would have one loss probably to Michigan still. But, you know, we'd be sitting there with one loss. Yeah, Uh, I'm not
1: sure how long D'Antonio sticks with with Warner. I'm in a couple of group threads for some fantasy football leagues. And in, in both threads every single Saturday it's oh here we go with the Werner offense it's the Michigan State you know run with the middle three times punt the ball hope your defense gets something done uh kind of approach every single week and you're right if Michigan State had even a even a semblance of an offense right now right. I think they would be sitting with one loss to Michigan and that would have been a much more competitive game from an offensive standpoint for the Spartans
0: yeah and with all that being said I'll leave you guys with this uh, I already gave you the, the you know, the path to Indy for MSU exists, but the Rutgers, are, Rutgers or Indiana has to be part of that path. So let's throw that out the window. Here's an interesting couple stats. So if MSU wins out, they will potentially and probably be the team that will be picked by the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. It won't be Ohio State or Penn State. We'll have beaten them, and I doubt it'll be a five-loss Northwestern team if they hold on and win the West. But to go along with that, MSU's three losses would be potentially to two conference champions and three division winners. Arizona State is right now in the lead. They're they're tied at three losses, but they have the easiest schedule going out to win the Pac-12 South. Northwestern obviously holds the keys to win the West in the Big Ten, and Michigan's probably going to win the East and win the Big Ten – So they're not horrible
1: losses, but
0: uh, nonetheless, we'd like to have a couple
1: of those back. Here's the more interesting thing, and I heard a little bit of this earlier when I was driving on Detroit Sports Radio, but as much hatred and division as there is in the state of Michigan between Democrats and— I mean, Michigan—I still have election on my (laughs) mind—between Michigan fans and Michigan State fans, they almost need to cheer for one another moving forward. If you are a Michigan State fan, and you understand, look, there's not a real clear path. Unless something crazy happens with Michigan over the next couple of weeks, there's not a path to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship. Right. So if you're a Michigan fan, if Michigan State goes out and beats the Buckeyes this weekend, Michigan will, have, uh, will be the ones going to Indy representing the Big Ten East. And right. if Michigan wins out, beats Ohio State, uh, on Thanksgiving weekend, then Michigan State will go to the Rose Bowl. So if you're a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan, you almost need to be cheering for your rival right now over the next few weeks in order to get to where you want to go or what what should be achievable in the minds of those two fan bases. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So there's there's our MSU uh, discussion. We'll move on from there. My last, Nothing...
1: my last point I want to make on Michigan State, I'm not sure yeah. if you know this, but I, I found it interesting. Um, against Maryland, they were held to 26 yards on 29 rush attempts. That marks the fourth game this year where Michigan State's rush defense held an opponent to one yard or less per carry.
0: Love it. Yep. Love it. Knew if you'd like it. If we just had an offense.
1: Right. Uh, before we jump into CFP
0: rankings and then our picks, the one thing I did want to touch on, you know, expanding our horizons here, talking about more than just the Big Ten, you know, we've covered the SEC. We've covered the Independence Notre Dame, and uh, but the Sorry. Big 12. One of the things that I love about the Big 12, um, you know, other than you know 4,000 yards being gained per game, is it seems like they play in rivalry games every single weekend. When you got Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you throw West Virginia in there, it seems like there's so much hatred on the field every single time these guys suit up. I was watching Texas Tech Oklahoma, and that was a shootout of its own. Yeah. And they were just after each other, man. It was getting dicey on the field. And I'm thinking, you guys, you know, you just spent all this energy playing Texas. You're playing uh, Baylor. I I just don't know how they keep it together for all these games. And Oklahoma's got OK State this weekend. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's one rivalry game after another, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, that's what happens when your entire conference i mean or more than half of the conference is split just between two states with texas and oklahoma then you throw in (laughs) iowa state west virginia you know they i'm not sure other than iowa state versus iowa um if they really have any true big 12 rivalries but even with west virginia uh going back to the texas game you're going to certainly see over the next year a lot of talk back and forth between the longhorns and the mountaineers and don't think that texas is going to forget about the horns down celebrations with Jennings and Sills and Greer um, almost every time they scored so yeah a a very chippy contest you had mentioned Oklahoma Texas Tech we're going to get more of that this weekend with Oklahoma Oklahoma State Texas Texas Tech it's uh it it is a lot of hate and if you have hate in your heart you got to let it out in the Big 12. Oh
0: yeah absolutely do and you could get a West Virginia Oklahoma game that finishes the regular season and then plays in the Big 12 championship Mm -hmm. and believe it if, if that's to go to the CFP for one of those teams, that's going to be real chippy. Okay. Um, so looking forward to that. One last thing on divisions, too, to cover, to cover all the conferences here. We have in the mediocre, mediocre divisions of college football, I mentioned Northwestern, who will probably win the West with four losses, maybe five. They can't afford five. They'd probably get a six against Michigan. Just ridiculous. Pitt is in a driver's seat with four losses right now. They've got one in conference, but they've got the driver's seat of the Coastal. Washington could win the North with three losses, and I already mentioned that the Pac-12 South, no matter who wins, someone will have at least three losses, but it could get to five. So this is why, people, we do not say, hey, let's do six teams and all the conference champs get in, because it could be the most brutal CFP, we'd ever seen, and Bama would just be you could have Bama play all five in consecutive days, and it'd be over.
1: You don't want to touch on the Sunbelt East West divisions, uh, getting into all the conferences and expanding our horizons, or should we save that for next week?
0: <laughs> that's that's over my head, that's yeah, over my pay grade, right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, I, I agree, yeah, that it's it's crazy to me, and you've maybe seen some articles over the past couple of years calling for. Um, the, the deconstruction almost of, of the division approach, for the especially for the major conferences. I like what the Big 12 does where they take the top two teams. They obviously don't have divisions like the Big 10, the ACC, um, and, and the Pac-12 uh, and the SEC, but taking the top two teams at the end of the regular season and putting them in the conference title game, I'd much rather see Michigan and Ohio State or Michigan and Michigan State instead of Michigan versus Northwestern or Iowa or Wisconsin in the big 10 championships. So I think there is some credibility to that argument. We'll see if it gains any traction in the years to come. Probably not, but I do like the approach out of the big 12. And um, I think once again, this year in the, the discrepancy between the divisions that we're seeing in all of the power five conferences, except for the sec lends more and more credence to that big 12 approach of taking those top two teams and pitting them against each other in the conference title game.
0: Yeah, divisions don't work in fantasy football. They don't work right now in college football. Can you imagine if Michigan and Michigan State, which is what it would probably end up being, like you said this year, playing it out in Indy? I mean, oh, talk about chippiness. That would uh, would be a dream come true. I would love to see that game. Even if we lost again, it would be one hell of a game, and there would probably be fistfights all over Indy before that night was
1: over. They'd have Um, to change the (laughs) game to a new location after that year. I'd You'd see me
0: in the crowd wearing a catcher's mask just so I could make sure I didn't get right. dotted from some, some uh, guy coming up behind me. But uh, yeah, that would be one heck of a game. But we talked about the CFP. The rankings came out. We kind of talked about the top four. I, I don't know that, you know, if there's something you want to say about the top four, we can talk about that. I think we've kind of went through those guys. But are there any rankings that just don't make sense to you is there anybody waiting in the in the wings there in the top 10 you know six through 10 that you think has the best shot to crack or sorry five through 10 that has the best shot to crack uh the top four what do you think
1: i think right now as the top four stands those are the four best teams right now that make sense for the college football playoff if i had to pick a team that has the best shot at cracking the top four at some point it's got to be either Georgia or Oklahoma. The only way that Georgia cracks the top four, and this is an interesting scenario to play out. If Georgia goes to Atlanta and beats Alabama in the title game, the conference title game in early December, there's no way, right? There's no way that the playoff committee would leave out a one loss Alabama. And I think that a one loss Alabama losing to Georgia would likely replace Michigan. So you would have Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame in the top four with Michigan on the outside looking in Oklahoma still has a tougher road because they don't play the quality schedule that Georgia plays for the remainder of the year Um, but if Georgia does play their cards right and they win out including a conference championship win over Alabama I think once again you'd see two SEC teams get in at least this time Alabama would play in their own conference title game to get in as opposed to last season but Um, That's the only scenario I see where a team may jump one of the existing top four playoff picks, even if the top four picks went out.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if that happens, Jim Delaney will make sure that six or eight teams is is the new CFP. Might not be next year, but it'll be much quicker than anybody expected. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, Georgia, Oklahoma have a shot. Um, I think West Virginia if they went out and beat Oklahoma twice, i think they're in the same position Oklahoma is. Um, you know, the the question will be is if someone like let's say Ohio State wins out and they actually go to Indy, they beat Northwestern and you've got an Oklahoma or West Virginia team that also wins out and gets two two wins over the other team who's got the better resume because you know, at this point, Ohio State's the one that's staring a huge loss to Purdue in their face. When you've got West Virginia, who lost a tight one to a good Iowa State team, and Oklahoma, who lost a field goal game to Texas, so that would be the most interesting pick I could imagine. Um, obviously, if we just get a couple more wins from these top four, nothing's going to change. It'll be t- it'll be chalk, and we'll go from there. When I look at the other rankings. Some of the things that surprised me is one, uh, I thought it was funny, you know, Michigan State was 24 in the AP and nothing in the coaches poll and they got up to 18 in the CFP. So I, I did like to see that, obviously. Um, but some of the other teams, you know, like Florida being 15 after they just got blown out by 21 mm-hmm. at home to Missouri, who secured their first SEC win with oh. that blowout of Florida. Uh, so I oh, thought Tigers. that was a weird one. Um lsu to stay at seven i know they lost to bama but they did lose at home and it was 29 to nothing and they lost to the florida team that just got their wheels blown off at home and dan mullen by the way blame that on they not there's not enough fans the fans got to come to the games apparently that counts for 22 points these days uh, to get the win over missouri but other than that it's about time that you know, MSU, if they're going to be ranked, should be ahead of Penn State in the rankings, okay. something the coaches poll uh, got confused about. And, and that just leads me to the belief that the coaches poll is given to the uh, you know assistant, the janitor, uh, some some kid that walks down the hallway and passes the coach. He gives it to him to fill it out because that that poll is clueless when it comes to putting teams in the right spot.
1: Yeah, out of all the polls, the coaches poll is always the one where you're like, ah, does that really make any sense? Um, I agree with you. Florida, I think, is ranked too high. Michigan State being back in the top 25. I think they're a little too high being a- at 18 right now, but it certainly makes sense for them to be above teams that they've beaten like Penn State. I think Penn State being in the top 25 at all, uh, even though they're 6-3, yeah. and three, doesn't make sense to me. Um, even though Fresno State doesn't have a shot at the playoff, I think them being at 23 is a little too low. I think they're actually the the best. Group of five team, and I mentioned that uh, on last week's podcast. Um, but yeah, not, not a, lot, a whole lot of disagreement there. Um, we'll see how things shake out moving forward. But uh, I think for the most part, maybe I would change Michigan State down to maybe 22, 23. But, you know, them being 18 with a big matchup against Ohio State coming up this weekend, uh, if Michigan State can pull off the W, they certainly deserve to be uh, in the top 20, maybe the top 15. Um, after a win against the Buckeyes. So we'll see how things uh, progress moving forward. Yeah, what was
0: interesting to me was I'd like to ask if Michigan State got the benefit of the doubt because of this injury-plagued season that they've had, and maybe that's why they're a little bit higher. Because I agree with you that jumping from not ranked to 18 uh, seems seems like a huge jump. But one of the other things you can take from that and a couple of the other rankings they had is they really do go in as a committee every week. And and it's not, well, what were they ranked last week? They go back in with no baseline of what had happened other than let's evaluate this team in week 11 and see what they've done. And so Mm -hmm. that's why you see a difference in that poll versus the AP or the coaches, where it's basically like, well, if you lose at five, we'll only drop you like three or four spots. You know, that's kind of like the given. In mm-hmm. those polls, so I, I I've enjoyed the CFP and the way that they look at it, kind of with
1: without bias eyes every time every week uh, that they that they take a look at it and, and get the rankings out. So yeah. the only recommendation I would have for the CFP, and it's the same one that Mike Leach has, they have to expand to sixty four teams at some point, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want I want college football to go right up to the end of February and lead into March Madness for us. Um, it's a natural that transition. Be, Yeah, that would be perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, CFP rankings look good. Top four look good. I cannot argue with those. Um, And with that being said,
1: should we we give some picks out here? Yeah, let's give some picks out. Um, I I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I I sent you a text earlier this week. Ever since we started the podcast, I'm 12-3 and on picks. So if you've been following religiously and putting down money on some of my picks, uh, I'm moving units, as they say in the biz, so <laughs> let's try and ride that hot hand and keep this uh, keep this thing rolling here. Um, I'll start off this week. My first pick is Fresno State at Boise State. If you got nothing to do on Friday night, or even if you do have something to do on Friday night, make sure you're in front of a TV, tuned in to ESPN at 10.15 Friday evening. Um, Fresno State and Boise State, it's possibly the top matchup of the Mountain West, and quite possibly a preview of the mountain west championship game um later on this month friday night will mark the first time since october 23rd 1999 that boise has been a home underdog in the regular season what were you doing in 1999
0: bruce I was still in high school you know obeying the parents doing good
1: things of course <laughs> the angel child as you were i'm sure um, yeah, Fresno, I- the reason why they're favored by three points here, they're allowing just 12.3 points a game. That's number two in the nation. They've allowed seven points or less in four of their last five games. But what I think is the difference here. And the reason why Fresno is looking so good on paper, they have yet to face a quarterback who has more than one year of experience as a start of this season. And their defense also has not faced an FBS quarterback who's completing 60% or more of their throws. They head into Boise facing, Arguably the one of the best group of five quarterbacks in Brett Ripon. He's got 34 career wins and is on pace to become the all-time leader in the Mountain West in completions and pass yards. Boise is 26-4 and in their last 30 games at home against Mountain West competition. It's a tough place to play, and while I love Fresno State, I think the Bulldogs are the best group of five team at this point. Um, they're 8-1 and against the spread this year. I think the real dogs to back on Friday night is going to be Boise State. And I think the Broncos walk away with a close victory. So take Boise State plus three Friday night.
0: Well, it's tough to, it's tough to go get a victory in at the blue field. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start out with some hot fire right out of the gate and give you one of my upset picks. And it's the Green Machine in East Lansing bringing in the Buckeyes. They're getting three and a half. Go ahead and take that spread if you want. I didn't take it when I bet on my Buckeye neighbors. I'm going straight up on this one. Sparty. I don't care who starts at quarterback. The defense is ready to rock, and D'Antonio's due for one of these wins. You know He didn't get it against Michigan, so we'll take it against the Buckeyes, who are struggling, obviously, on both sides of the ball, um, whether it was turnovers against Nebraska in the red zone, not coming away with touchdowns, or their defense that continues to get shredded. Ever since Nick Bosa left uh, You know with that injury and then left school, they just haven't been the same defense. And so I'm looking for State to get it going on the ground. Maybe they'll connect uh, through the air, depending on how well the the receivers and and the quarterback are playing together. Um, But, you know, Ohio State normally has given us trouble in the past because their QB has been able to move around and get out of the pocket and scramble. Haskins does not do that whatsoever. Um, So I think if he's going to sit back there and just try to throw all day long, we're going to make it real uncomfortable for him. Even though he called Shea Patterson to find out how to beat us, that's the new word out on Twitter that they had a they had a phone chat. I don't see it happening. Michigan State, I think they win by just one score, but I think they get it done.
1: Great pick. Um, I'm also gonna ha- I'm also gonna pick the Ohio State Michigan State game. I uh, have it on the docket here. The big question mark: Who is Michigan State offensively? We saw Rocky Lombardi versus Purdue a couple weeks ago, throw for 318 yards. And then last week, uh, Lurkey coming back from an injury, still feeling a little bit of pain in his throwing arm, completes 50% of his passes for 87 yards, two interceptions. The Spartan defense holds up, holds Maryland to less than one yard per carry. So they walk away with a 24-3 victory on the road. But which Spartan offense will show up in East Lansing on Saturday, I think is the big question. Uh, earlier this week, D'Antonio said that Lurkey will remain the starting QB, and if he was hurt, he would not be playing. So I think all signs are pointing to Another Luwerki start, whether Lombardi comes in in relief or at any point just to switch things up, is yet to be seen. But you had mentioned the Buckeyes are struggling on on both offense and defense. Um, They've allowed 400 yards or more of offense in the last uh, four of the last five games, including 539 yards they allowed uh, in a road loss to Purdue. They allowed 450 last week against Nebraska in a game that could have really gone either way, and, and the Cornhuskers were in it until the very end. I think Michigan State's top-ranked rush defense is going to be a nightmare here for Ohio State. So Dwayne Haskins is going to have to win this one with his arm. Spartan secondary is going to be, need to be up for the challenge in order to uh, walk away with a home victory. I think we can all agree that Ohio State has a ton of talent. They haven't played anywhere near their potential the last few games, both offensively and defensively. I'm going to shy away from taking the spread pick on this one and focus on the over/under which right now sits at 52. The point total, it's gone under in Michigan State's last 3 games. I'm going to back the under once again in a game where both offenses could struggle on a cold sunny afternoon in Pure Michigan. I think Ohio State will end up winning this game, but I'm taking the under at 52.
0: Yeah, that's probably a lock. I can't see, you know, Michigan State scoring over 20 points. I mean, that's kind of I think their average is right around 24. Um, but regardless, they just don't seem to get much going, and I'm sure Urban Meyer focused on that defense, so I, I like that under for sure. Um, the next one I've got is I'm going I'm going to the well on kind of what I was uh, upset about the CFP. South Carolina travels to the swamp, and Florida coming fresh off that 21 point loss to Missouri, they have a, a six points that they got to cover, and I don't think they do it. I think South Carolina comes in takes care of business. Um, Florida's got to be reeling. Who knows if Dan Mullen's going to get fans to show up this time so they can get those extra points on the board. But I think South Carolina gets it done. uh, Short and sweet. Florida will be out of the CFP. We won't have to worry about them anymore.
1: Kind of hard to get fans to show up to the stadium when you lose by 20-plus to Missouri the previous week. So, yeah, yet to be seen down there in the swamp. Hopefully brighter days ahead down there in the sunshine state for the Gators. But I agree. I think South Carolina – walks in there, covers a spread, possibly even wins out right there. Oh, yeah, they got a good chance to win. Yeah, for sure. All right, my third pick, is, I'm going to stay in the Big Ten, Northwestern at Iowa. We've talked ad nauseum about the Big Ten West the last few weeks. Northwestern, they're 5-1 and one in conference play. The Hawkeyes, they sit at 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten. I think last week's loss to Purdue certainly knocks them out of the divisional race, but they still have a strong team here, especially playing at home in Iowa City. Um, Last week, they they struggled to defend the pass. They allowed 333 yards through the air against Purdue. Northwestern comes into this game. They don't have much of a rushing offense, but Clayton Thorson can certainly sling the rock around the stadium. So he is right now third in the Big Ten in passing yards per game. Uh, A win on the road against Iowa will keep Northwestern in that driver's seat for the Big Ten West. Their remaining games are against bottom feeder teams in Minnesota and Illinois. So this will certainly go a long way to punching their ticket to Indianapolis. The Wildcats, they're 16-5 and against the spread the last 21 road games. They're 25-1 and against the spread the last 26 conference games. I'm going to take Northwestern plus 10.5. I think Iowa still walks away with a home victory, but Northwestern should cover that double-digit spread. I
0: like it. And uh, if they can go into Iowa and win, that'll be one heck of a W. That is a tough place to play. Mm -hmm. Ask Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Anybody that's went in there with... uh, you know, winter aspirations, bowl games on the mind. I will make sure to change those plans. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. My next one will go to the Big Twelve. You got TCU coming into West Virginia, and West Virginia's got to cover twelve with a TCU team that lost to Kansas. They're struggling. They're losing players uh, left and right. I think this is an easy one for Will Greer. I know that you know we look at the emotions high off that Texas win but i think they're also looking at it and saying gosh we really got a chance to get into the cfp if we can win out um plus you've got if you look at another spread in the big 12 oklahoma's got to cover 20 and a half over oklahoma state a rivalry a rivalry game and west virginia's only got 12 so maybe vegas knows something i don't um uh, but i don't see a letdown i think west virginia rolls and Greer adds to his his touchdown total maybe sneaks back in uh to that Heisman race you know right below Tua TCU lost to can was that in basketball huh no no my friend one point loss to
1: Kansas Jayhawk huh. football who who would have thought those Jayhawks are rolling they might pick up a w this weekend against Kansas State who knows that'd be that'd be their fourth win of the year uh, they I'm could, gonna say, I I
0: looked at that one. I thought about that. Yeah, one.
1: me me too. It, the, the, the point spread on there, uh, I think it opened up at Kansas State minus 12. I thought, Kansas State's been struggling. I, I almost took it. But I will stay in the Big 12. Um, Going to stay in the state of Texas. Texas at Texas Tech. The Red Raiders, they're one and a half point dogs. The Longhorns, nine games this year they've played. Um, Seven of those nine games have been decided by a touchdown or less. The last five games have been decided by six points or less. They're coming off two straight losses. They head into Lubbock, Texas Tech, without starting quarterback Alan Bowman. So they're going to go with sophomore Jet Duffy, who, if that name doesn't sound like a quarterback, I don't know what does. Um, Jet Duffy will fill in as his replacement. He went nine for seventeen last week for 139 yards through the air, two touchdown passes against Oklahoma. I think both teams are coming off emotional losses against top ten opponents. And while Texas is one six and one against the spread, their last eight games. In the month of November, I think with the Red Raiders losing starting quarterback Bowman, that could be enough to tip this one in the favor of the Longhorns. And I think UT will be especially motivated after letting last week's game against the Mountaineers slip away. So I'm going to take Texas minus one and a half on the road. I think this they win a shootout, something like Longhorns 41, Red Raiders 37.
0: I like it. And, and like you said, uh, there's a lot of good games in the Big 12. Um, I will stay away from that Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, because... A big point spread in a rivalry game like that. Uh, I feel like there is something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go with Bama as my next pick. They're playing Mississippi State. They're bringing them in at home. and again, it seems like to me that we're we're seeing the, hey, you're coming off an emotional game at LSU. so they're only giving them 24 and a half points to cover. <laughs> I know I say only, but gosh, you know, it's closer to 30 most times. And so I think four touchdowns for Bama at home. When they probably want to get some rest for Tua and sit him on the bench in the second half or at least the fourth quarter, I think they make sure they get it done so they can do just that and they cover that uh, 24-and-a-half. And And probably Mississippi State scored three on LSU, so I can't imagine they're going to score more than that if they even get to three against Bama.
1: Well, Alabama does have that powerhouse Citadel team coming in to Tuscaloosa here in a few weeks, so Tua will get plenty of rest at some point leading up to the Iron Bull against Auburn, but I, I think you're right, uh, 24 points right now for Alabama sounds almost too good to be true, so you and I would certainly be in alignment right there.
0: Now, now I thought you were going to say Citadel was coming in next week, and so they might get caught looking ahead. They could, yeah. You never you, <laughs> you never, never know.
1: know. You never know. Citadel strikes fear into the hearts of opponents, I hear.
0: Yeah, maybe Tua's Uh, looking forward to throwing right-handed just to add to his Heisman resume. All
1: right, my last game. I'm going to go to where college game day is taking place. I'm talking up in Boston, Massachusetts. It's Clemson at Boston College. Um, The Eagles are 20-point home dogs. They're a feel-good story this year out of the ACC. They have one of the nation's best young running backs in, sophomore A.J. Dillon. He leads the conference right now in rushing yards a game. He's averaging a little over 128 yards per game. But I think everyone's in agreement. Boston College, they're just not quite at that level of the Clemson Tigers. Um, Boston College, they're allowing 415 yards a game defensively against teams with a winning record. Clemson is seventh in the nation in total offense against teams with a winning record. They're, They're averaging 485 yards a game against teams with above 500 winning records. Um, they have noticeable advantages on both sides of the ball. So the Tigers' rush defense matches up well with Boston College's penchant for keeping the rock on the ground. I think the combination of Trevor Lawrence through the air and Travis Etienne um, with Clemson's running back, he leads the ACC in rushing touchdowns. That's more than enough to overwhelm Boston College's defense. Clemson should win this one big. I'll lay the points. Give me Clemson, minus 20, 52 to 20, Tigers.
0: Yeah, that's one of those games where I wish you were wrong. I hope you're wrong. I'd love to see Clemson go down. I hope I'm wrong, shake too. Up, Yeah, at least shake up that that top four just a little bit. Um, I'll take my last one out west. We'll give some attention to the Pac-12. Washington State heads in to Colorado to see the Buffs um, going to the Flatirons out there in Boulder. The Buffs are coming off four straight losses. They started out with five straight wins. Now they've got four straight losses. They lost to Arizona and Oregon State uh, the last two games. Um, So I just don't see anything getting better for them when Washington State comes in with so much on the line. Again, you've got a Washington State team that's playing a lot better defense, which has never been uh, something that Leach gets his teams to do. Usually it's just offense. Um, so playing well on both sides of the ball, you've got a Buffalo team that's uh, you know gotten shot in the backside and, and is limping around, and so I think they they kind of finish them off here by a solid margin, especially when you only got to cover six. I think that'll be done by uh, by halftime easily.
1: Might be done by the first quarter.
0: Yeah, it could be. Great pick. So that that gives us five, right? Five on your side,
1: five on five my on, side, five for me, five for you. We like I'm going to save even on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm going to save the upset picks for for the website here. Okay. But certainly, you can you can guess that uh, Michigan State will be on that. Probably South Carolina, and then I'll have to find a, find a couple others. I will tell you, although I have not hit uh, my picks probably as well as Ryan has since we've been doing this podcast. I did go five for five on the spreads for college basketball yesterday nice. for opening night. And that got me 150 bucks, so it was a good, it was a good start to basketball season outside of MSU, uh, blowing a game against Kansas. And the last thing I'll say about basketball is that Duke looks like the Alabama of basketball with uh, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Uh, maybe we'll talk about a little bit of basketball yeah. um, here at some
1: point as, as football winds down and takes a break uh, in December. But there's nothing better on Thanksgiving weekend than the Maui Invitational. I mean, you got football all weekend. You got the Maui Invitational. You got food galore. Great way to get away from the family and watch the, you know, two big teams play in some high school gym out in Hawaii.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it's nothing better than get some college basketball going right at the time when football has everything on the line for the last month. Uh, So it's a great time of year, but we've got our picks. We got another big week of uh, football coming up and we'll come back at you next week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm with Bruce out. Corn dog out.